What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros. Welcome, guys, back to to another episode of the GPP, the Gifted Performance Podcast, where we give you the knowledge and practical insight to improve your own general physical preparedness. I am your host, as always, the father of all things squatting, squatting dad himself. I am joined by two of my gifted performance cohorts here, Mr. Dominic Kuza, looking great in that Stay Gifted t-shirt. What you don't know, because I haven't angled my camera down yet, is we are actually Teddy Matching. Teddy Twins. We're matching today. And Mike, Mike Taylor, Dr. Mike Taylor, down in my bottom left. Where is he going to show up when we actually upload this to YouTube? God only knows. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing, I'm doing amazing. Doing amazing. Wow, Dr. Bragg, you better be ready because he just said amazing. And I am joined by our esteemed guest of the day, Dr. Allison Brager. Dr. Brager is a PhD from Kent State University, neurobiologist, uh, currently an active duty member of the U.S. Army, specializes in sleep, more specifically, sleep in extreme conditions, right? Sleep deprivation, um, jet lag, exercise, stuff like that. Yep. Cool. Doing good so far. Also the author of a book that Mike has read and sent over to me, or I'm hoping he'll send it over to me because he has sung its praises. It is Meathead, the unraveling the athletic brain. Dr. Brager, that's all I've got. I need you to fill in the gaps because I am the world's worst introer. <laughs> You're not the world's worst intro. Those are main things. Uh, yeah, that's that's myself professionally. Uh, I'm also on the, the uh pipeline uh to be an astronaut so hopefully that happens someday soon uh you might you know i, I might be the first woman to mars but you know that, that's a long road um and then i also uh, have i was a collegiate athlete but i've done crossfit the last 10 years um was lucky enough to compete in the crossfit games on a team so um you know that sort of shaped a lot of the research that i've done for the army these days you were track and field, right? Yes. I would say a multi-event athlete. Uh, so I got recruited initially as a pole vaulter and a hurdler. And obviously, if you can pole vault, uh, the track coach kind of assumes you're athletic enough to do the other events. So um, <laughs> by the end of my college career, I did the uh, hip long. Awesome. That's really cool. So you said you also do some CrossFit. Anyone who comes on, because I also do CrossFit, I have to ask you, what's your dream workout? What's the one that it's up on the board? You see it and you're like, hell yeah, today is my day. This is where I get to flex. Oh, for me, it's uh, Nasty Girls and Nasty Girls version two. Like, I, there's just something about that workout I love. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't really crush people anymore. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a master's athlete. I'm 37, so I can't keep up with the, uh, the you know, spring chickens. But uh, I try my <laughs> best. And I feel like Nasty Girls is one of those ones that uh, I close the gap some. We have a lot of bodybuilders like Dom who watch this podcast and bodybuilders, you know, I can say this because I used to be one, aren't the smartest in the world. So explain to them, please, what this nasty girls that you speak of is, because they've got some very strange thoughts going through their mind right now. Oh, yeah, that is true. Good point. Uh, (laughs) And note your audience, right? That's like 101 in public speaking. Um, So, I mean, I I know the history of it is like, uh, you know, the, the original CrossFit girls that trained with with greg glassman 
Um, it, it was created for them because they were just crushing it right from the get-go. But it's uh, it it's combines technical gymnastics with Olympic lifting and squatting. Uh, so it is three rounds for time of seven ring muscle-ups, um, 50 air squats, and then... Um, is it nine or 12? I can't remember. Um, hang power cleans at 95 pounds. So that's nasty girls, like the original one. But then when I was competing in uh, 2014 regionals, Dave Castro, the head of CrossFit programming, decided to create version two, which is actually one of my favorite workouts because it's even more technical. It's um, seven ring muscle ups, 50 pistols, which are one legged squats. And then... Um, nine hang power cleans at 125 for females so for males i think that's like 185 right on yeah i got tired listening to that (laughs) yeah but you do three (laughs) rounds of that so i remember like the next day at regionals my legs were toast because like pistols the one-legged squats weren't really common in the programming then and like you just did 150 of them you know so looking back at your history, were you always kind of in sports, surrounded by sports, always athletic? What's kind of your athletic background growing up? Oh, yeah. So I grew up in a actually it's like one of the shittiest and it used to be the most dangerous cities in the country. It's called Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, when I was growing up there in the 90s, we actually had the highest murder rate per capita on the entire country. Like, so, uh <laughs> You knew early on as a child, and I swear this is why there's so many good athletes that come out of Youngstown. There's actually a documentary on ESPN about it called Youngstown Boys. It's like sports is your ticket out of town. So you you had that like early on and um, you know, I was lucky, like both of my uncles were professional boxers. So they like got me in athletics and like training and just beating my body to the ground early on in life. Um, and I, I have a few family members who played in the NFL too, because that's also like pretty common with Youngstown is like, we just breed professional football players and boxers. It's like crazy. But anyway, uh, that's, yeah, I've always been around athletics. Like I've always found peace, happiness, and honestly, like the pursuit of excellence, if that as cheesy as that sounds through, ex, um, through athletics. Not cheesy at all, but I want to ask Dom a question. Dom, do you personally feel threatened? So Dom lives just outside of Detroit, oh, current, okay. which I believe yeah, is currently. Because Detroit is like Youngstown, <laughs> except Detroit found an economy now to like ride and be on the upswing where Youngstown, like, granted, I love growing up there, but it's still shitty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right. So let's actually get into, because we mentioned the military, I want to talk a little bit about military history before we kind of dig into today's topic. So today's topic is going to be all about sleep, kind of just everything around sleep. But let's talk a little bit about your military history. When did you start? Where did you start? How have you progressed, etc.? Yeah. So actually, I've only been in the army for over three years. I was a direct commission. Um, join and your professional skill set, and they base your rank um, through that. Um, 
So I actually, I got recruited by the military academies when I was in high school. Uh, West Point was my top choice. But then I was a junior when 9-11 happened. And my parents were like, hell no, you're not going to West Point. Um, so I ended up going to Brown instead, which I mean, you know, it's also a very good school. And it's kind of honestly like the antithesis of West Point, right? It's just like a bunch of these like free spirited hippies who do naked donut runs and like love being naked any chance they get, you know, very different from the military. Um, they actually just, I think Brown just got an ROTC program, like two years ago. So it's still like pretty funny now, like the people I work for um, in the military, like we all went to Brown and we we went to like the most anti-war school that is around. Um, But yeah, so I always had this dream of serving still. um, But then I started working for the army when I was a fellow um, uh, through the National Academy of Sciences. And my very first day there, I had uh, this great mentor who was like, hey, you would make a great officer. And I'm like, sir, I'm 33 years old. Why would the army want a 33-year-old neuroscientist? And the army has active duty slots for neuroscience. And so um, what's kind of funny is like, there's five of us who are like classified as neuroscientists. The rest are all like under some domain of psychology, but we all knew each other like since graduate school. So we sort of like keep recruiting other people from our like pedigree and like stock of folks we know. Uh, but it's been awesome. Like you were talking about your five friends that you grew up with grad school and we can edit this out too, if you'd like me to your underground lair. Oh, no. Is it, is it your underground secret lair where you plan your super villainry? Is that local to oh, you? Do, you? do you travel? Yeah. We're all evil geniuses at the end of the day, like 100%. She's, yeah. dodging, she's dodging the question. She doesn't want to tell me where the secret <laughs> lair is. And honestly, I respect that. I really, I, I do. It's so, Mike, near Mike, I think you capital uh, in a five star building in a five uh, sided building. No, I'm just kidding. She's <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you got to go to Youngstown, Ohio, you know, meet Ricky in the back alley and he'll show you the way. He'll show you where oh, you go. I, I mean, I grew up actually with a lot of Rickies and there used to be, I tell people this, like, this is how you know I'm from Youngstown is like, we would, you know, like the Jersey Shore, that's always been my guilty pleasure because that's the life I lived. Like I grew up in like an Italian immigrant city. We used to go to the club at like age 14 because there was this club called Ricky's. And like we're closed now because it's run by the mob. You know, we had an existing mob that ran the town of Youngstown for a bit. And uh, yeah, we'd, we'd go to Ricky's and hang out. Like we wouldn't drink or anything. We'd just go clubbing like from 14 on. So I got that all out of my system early on. You hear that, kids? You want to grow up to be a successful neurobiologist? Head on down to Ricky's at age 14 and throw back shots with the mafia. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's your fast track. <laughs> um, Mike, I wanted to throw it over to you. I think you had a question about Army Fitness Team. I heard there's some pretty cool badassery, my word, going on there. Yeah, so, <clears throat> excuse me. That's actually how I, you know, we were hunting around for like, you know, we're always looking for guests for the show and stuff. And I was like, you know, I think I know somebody because I saw I saw your account somehow through um 
like, you know, the gym where like, you know, everybody's yeah. working out. I think, uh, um, I forget who it was one of, one of the other athletes. And I linked to you and I was like, Oh my God, that's so cool. And also kind of as a side note, I was, my, or my dad was stationed at Fort Knox for a couple of years when I was growing up. So I was like, Oh, no kidding. That's so cool that this like exists there now. Um, so, so anyway, I, I guess, you know, my big question would be like, what a sweet job. Cause you know, we actually had, um, he told us that you guys knew each other, uh, Lieutenant Ashton Ruska on the show last week. Yeah. And, and, and he was saying, he was like writing a, a chapter on, on sleep. And he was like, I wish I had known about this like army fitness team because right now I'm in grad school and it's, uh, it's an ordeal. So I guess like, what's the deal with this army fitness team? Yeah. That's so funny. He didn't even tell me you had him on the show. So I recruited him to help me write the sleep chapter. Uh, it's going to be the first chapter uh, or the first textbook on sleep medicine for athletes. And the intent is to have this textbook like available in every coach's office and every training room office. Um, but yeah, so this is like an initiative that started a few years ago. I think it's with the transition to the new army, you know, PT test, which I mean, senior leaders hate saying that it, it like CrossFit is the way to train for it, but like, honestly it is. Um, so the warrior fitness team, we consist of like mostly CrossFit athletes. And now we have uh, strong men competitors and uh, power athletes, but it's basically, so the army and all the branches of service actually have athletes that compete in the Olympics and it's like this, it's called the world-class athlete program. And so like, that's the intent of this. It's like, you have athletes for the army who that's your profession. So basically right now I'm a professional athlete for the army, which has been really cool. Um, and you know, I created research around that because why not? Like if I have access to the best elite athletes in the country, and in the world, like, of course, I'm going to study their physiology and, like, help the Army in that way. Um, but that's, like, basically what we do is we compete on behalf of the Army in elite competitions, um, you know, with the intent to represent the Army in the CrossFit Games. You know, one of my teammates, Captain Chandler Smith, he's done that a few times over. Um, we hope to have a team, um, you know, it, once this uh, pandemic is over, but... Um, yeah, I, I fully recognize I got super lucky and grateful um, being selected for the first iteration of the fitness team. Um, we are recruiting now for uh, replacements because this is like a two or three year assignment. Uh, but I think the other cool thing about this job, too, is like we go into school systems and we go into the PE classes. So, you know, we get to uh, be Kenny Rogers for, for uh, a, a brief second and you know, tell, the, tell the kids how we're the best at exercising, you know, uh, that's like a, a great part of the job too, is just connecting with youth because you'd be amazed these days, like how many school systems have done away with PT It is or PE. It's just so sad to me because, you know, there's so many elements of athletics that are gained uh, from being like a good human just through through athletics, like the whole teamwork aspect, like dealing and managing different personalities and having to work together for a common goal. Like those are things people take for granted. Like that, you know, the dodgeball and the badminton games we played in PE class. Like I swear those taught you how to manage conflict and like difficult people and situations more than I think people take, you know, realize. Totally. No, that's, that's awesome. 
I think that if you're trying to build an army fitness team and the first pick is Chandler Smith, you are off to an absolutely phenomenal start. Great start. If it gets yeah. better from there, unbelievable. Yeah. No, we got really lucky with the first round because, um, you know, most of us had, had competed in the games or at regionals at some point. Um now it's, it's a little bit harder. Like we had team selections, but now you can either be active duty, National Guard, or Reserve. Um, and you know, like obviously the National Guard and Reserve people, they're going to have more time to devote to CrossFit and training than active duty. Because yeah. unfortunately, the nature of being active duty is it you have a lot more administrative responsibilities than like physical fitness responsibilities a lot of times. So they're not going to get the recovery and the rest that you know, it, National Guardsmen or, or reservists will have. For so sure. sleep is important then? Is that what you're, you're, you're saying? Sleep is important. Sleep and recovery. Yes, I'm getting important, we are important things. In, yes, in, into sleep right now. Exactly. Flawless. Flawless segue. Right around that 20-minute mark, the small talk is over. It's time to get into the big talk. I'm ready for it. So a lot of the people that I'm sure that you currently work with, have worked with in the past, have fat loss or muscle hypertrophy on the front of their mind as a goal that they are pursuing. So my yeah. first question to you would be, what are some or a few direct and indirect pathways by which sleep or a lack of sleep rather can squander those goals? Oh my gosh. I love it. We're getting right to the mechanisms and like the physiology. Um, so I always like to talk about anabolic systems uh, because what people don't realize is that's the purpose and the universal function of sleep is to drive the body into an anabolic state. Um, you only ever release growth hormone, testosterone, and insulin growth factor during the deepest stages of non-rapid eye movement or non-REM sleep. Like most people don't realize that. Like it doesn't matter how much you squat and how much you lift and train in the gym. You don't immediately start releasing these anabolic hormones post-training and during the cooldown. Your body like conserves that release for nights. And if you get a shitty night of sleep because you have a pre-existing sleep disorder like sleep apnea, or you just aren't sleeping in optimal conditions, then you're screwed because you're never going to release the amount of testosterone and put your body in an anabolic state that it deserves. Um, and we have evidence for that. We have direct linear relationships between hours of nighttime sleep, hours spent in deep restorative sleep and amount of testosterone release. Um, actually, sleep loss is a big reason why our like high tier military units and like even our first responders end up going to low dose testosterone treatment is because years and years of having that chronic sleep loss, they need supplemental testosterone to get their levels back to normal, healthy physiological levels. Yeah, and I think that everyone's kind of ears perked up when you said, listen, the, the the benefit of sleep is this, you know, this anabolism, this release of these anabolic hormones and folks that are into kind of the bodybuilding or just the muscular hypertrophy kind of sphere. When they hear that, they really they they, they get excited. So I guess my, my question segueing segueing off of that is like people want to know, OK, sleep. Good. Got it. 
understood. I'm, I'm right there with you. We're on the same train there. But the next question is always, okay, how much is enough? And then people yeah, sometimes yeah. say, oh, you know, you know, it depends. It's this, that, the other. So what is your general recommendation on what is enough sleep? Okay. So again, these studies have been done for over two decades. And so, and they've been reiterated in multiple demographics of like young, healthy males, all the way up to old males and even females. Um, again, we go back to this direct linear relationship. If you're sleeping seven to eight hours a night, which is the average for most humans, your testosterone and anabolic hormone release is going to be near. But as soon as you sleep six hours a night, you're already at a 50% functioning level. Um, if you're sleeping five hours, it's 33% and four hours of sleep, which can be common is you're at like 25% to 15%, which is absolutely crazy. Now, two questions off of that sleeping more, do you get a greater anabolic response? So sleeping more is, that's a great question. Um, you know, there's kind of like, it's a U-shaped curve with any aspect of physiology. Um, sleeping more essentially can protect you from decrements during sleep deprivation. So that's a lot of like what we've done with our military studies is we've shown that um, if you sleep bank, so what we'll do is we'll load up individuals on sleep, like they'll sleep nine hours instead of eight um, if they're then faced with 40 to 50 hours of full on wakefulness, which, you know, it happens a lot of times with like night missions, like they get up and prep in the morning, they do their night mission, they come back, they do, you know, the after action stuff, um, floating up on sleep will protect you from any decrements, both physically and mentally during that sleep deprivation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I've actually heard both sides of that argument. I've heard, you know, you can't bank sleep verse you can. So it's actually good to hear, um, hear you say that. Now, my second question off of that was, is this something that is an acute response? So like, you know, I had a bad night of sleep last night, those sex hormones, those anabolic hormones take an immediate dip, or is it like, Hey, I've been sleep deprived for, you know, a month, two months. Now I'm starting to see that drop off. So it only takes three days. Um, okay. And we know that from doing these studies, uh, both physically and mentally, like whether it's your cognitive performance or your physical performance by day three, you're only at 50% functioning. And the only way you ever get back to normal is with sleep. Um, and it even goes so far as like when you talk about mental performance, caffeine stops working three days in two. Like at that point, you need sleep. Yeah. Dom, I told you this so, was going to be a rough podcast for you. With, with, yeah. <laughs> with seven to eight hours, how many sleep cycles is considered good sleep? Excellent point. So sleep cycles, 90 minutes, right? If you have good sleep, you should be transitioning through the full sleep cycle, hypothetically, within that 90 minutes, where you go from light non-REM sleep to deep non-REM to then REM sleep. Um, but as the night goes on, so you spend your first half of the night more so in non-REM sleep, and then your last half of the night more so in REM sleep, um, which, you know, again, the more the better, and the the easiest way to get more is honestly going to bed earlier. 
That makes sense. So yeah. I would anticipate. So I would anticipate that as we move from basic fitness goals, hypertrophy and fat loss, and we move into more athletic endeavors that include things like speed, power, techno tactical skill, cognition on the field of play, that there's an increased decrement to performance as we restrict sleep. Would I be correct with my loaded question? So you would actually be surprised. And this is something that Ashton and I sort of dissected for uh, this textbook is when it comes to like anaerobic performance, acute sleep deprivation has minimal impacts on performance Um, where uh, acute sleep deprivation impacts performance is more in the endurance space, which would make sense, right? Because like you're sleep deprived and so you're already at an energy reserve loss. Um, and so it's going to be really hard to tap into those systems knowing that you expanded them, like expended them the day prior. Now with like anaerobic power systems, like you're talking about creatine, right? Like some creatine is replenished through the act of sleeping, but um, it's not as like mar- as significantly impacted as like the glycolytic and the uh, you know fat recruitment that's required for optimal endurance performance. Dr. Breaker, do you want to hear a funny story? Yes. Okay. So in so I coach a lot of Olympic weightlifters as well, and. Um, part of, you know, that water cutting, the stress of making weight. Sometimes my athletes will actually lose a little sleep the night before their, their meet. And they'll be really worried about their performance. And in jest one time, I told one of my, my athletes, I said, listen, sleep is for recovery. Caffeine is for performance. Yes. Are you telling me that my joke was actually correct? Yes. If they are not caffeine tolerant, um, like or so what I should say is like I am not a fan of pre-workout and energy drinks. There's evidence now to show one, they create neurotoxicity, which is a you know fancy jargon for uh prematurely killing brain cells. Um and then energy drinks also, if you have two or more a day, it can increase your risk significantly for PTSD, anxiety, and depression. Um but if you're like somebody who's a habitual coffee drinker and say you have like one or two cups a day uh, and then you take pre-workout to go ham in a workout, because like I do that in competition. If I know I have to do like like a Fran or like one of those benchmarks that's six minutes or less and I need to go ham, I'll take a pre-workout before knowing that it's going to help me. So. You were, you know, without knowing the science, you were, your joke was scientifically accurate. That's honestly, that's most of my comedic routine. Funny (laughs) and also scientifically accurate. Put that on the postcard. Um, So I did want to talk about pre-workouts, but a question that I wanted to ask you first, because it's really in Dom's wheelhouse, is about stress hormones. So there's a lot there's a lot of noise there about that relationship between sleep and stress hormones. You miss a night of sleep, stress hormones, specifically cortisol is the one that everyone kind of grabs onto. They like that term cortisol. They talk about kind of how big of an effect there actually is there. And Dom, did you want to expand on that question anymore or let her run with it? Um. One thing that I always get asked about is like, like disrupted sleep. Like, how is that going to affect like, um, like, is that going to cause a high enough like cortisol response? 
to where like something like growth hormone might not be optimal because my sleep was disrupted. Cause like I have like clients that have, you know, newborns or just got a new puppy and there's a lot of disrupted sleep. And like, one of the things is, is that, is that something that's really going to affect like, you know, growing or fat loss in the morning and things like that? Yeah. So, um, the thing with sleep deprivation and, you know, that's like, like one of the beautiful things that has come out of like these wearables that are tracking balances between like the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system is sleep deprivation or not getting optimal sleep is going to put you in a heightened sympathetic state. Right. And when your body's in a heightened sympathetic state, all those downstream physiological processes come with it. So you're going to have the heightened cortisol release. You're going to have minimal growth hormone release or minimized. Um, So when you talk about like the seesaw uh, catabolic versus anabolic processes, you're going to be more in a catabolic state and more likely to be in a catabolic state until you can get adequate sleep again. Oh, that's it's so crazy how like one thing could affect so many other things. Cause I think, think about somebody that's like consistently sleep deprived has that constant like elevated cortisol. That leads to high blood sugar. Just so, and and one thing could fix it, and just sleeping more. Yeah, no, it's um, you know, that's like when we're dealing with people who have like chronic disease states. Like, there's a reason why sleep disorders are so highly comorbid with pretty much every single like disease state out there, including psychiatric conditions. Um, you know, when you look at like shift workers, for example, there's a reason why. Um, a career of shift work will take on average about 15 years off your life. And it's because of the lack of sleep and the shifted sleep schedules. Wow. And, and Dom actually mentioned something before we started. It was about some, it was about people who wake up frequently throughout the night. I think you mentioned you had a client that was waking up six, seven times throughout the night. Yeah. He had, he had asked me to ask you, um, that he wakes up maybe five, six times throughout the night with the feeling like he's going to miss his alarm or miss waking up on time for work and things like that. Now, it, yeah. it kind of sounded to me like there's some anxiety at play there. Oh, but yeah. there's also- he, he would be a great candidate for um it's called cognitive behavioral therapy. So like that's been shown a tried and effective approach to have people who suffer from insomnia or sleep fragmentation due to like psychological stress. Um, he'd be a great candidate for that. Yeah. Is there something like specific you would recommend to somebody like that? Um, so with that, the issue with that is like once it's an, it's identified as less of a physiological issue and more of a psychological issue. Cause that's what it seems like in my regard. Um, that's, that's the whole point of why cognitive behavioral therapy exists. It exists for people like that. And then also people who suffer from insomnia because when they hit the pillow, they just have these ruminations that they're not going to be able to fall asleep or people who chronically, like go to bed late because they don't have a strict bedtime routine or like don't prioritize sleep. Like that's 
Okay. Yeah, he'd be an ideal candidate for that, or she. And something that I kind of, per, my own personal anecdote, when I started ramping up my client load, when I started coaching a lot more people, I would I would lay in bed at night and I would think about all the programs that I had to write, all the emails <laughs> that I had to answer, all the texts that were just buzzing in. And what really helped me a lot, and something that I tell my clients to do a lot, is do some journaling before you go to bed at night. You yeah. know, write all of those thoughts down, write all of those things that you have to do the next day down. They're off your mind, and I can immediately tell a humongous difference in my sleep at night. Oh, absolutely. So that's, um, you know, that's part of your bedtime routine is like winding down. Um, however you see fit. I mean, so like the problem nowadays is like people have blue light blocking glasses, right? Because we know that blue light impacts sleep because it, it, uh, stops melatonin release, but then they'll overly compensate and watch like something, something that's emotionally charging on Netflix or be on their computer or texting and not give themselves that opportunity to like psychologically wind down. Like people, I think, um, underestimate like how much of sleep is about psychology. Um, there's actually a reason why, and, and I'm a sleep scientist, right? Like I know all the hacks for getting a good night of sleep when you travel. Cause that's what I study and do. Um, but there's this thing called the first night effect. Anytime you sleep in a new environment, it's sort of instinctive and like ingrained in us when we used to be like hunter gatherers, which is basically like one half of our brain stays alert and the other half stays asleep. It's a state called uh, unihemispheric sleep when we're in a new environment. So it's, you know, again, it just goes back to the whole psychology of sleep. It, 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 it matters. That is, that is so cool. I'm actually interested to hear kind of your list of hacks for getting a good night's sleep. Sure. Um, so these are things I've sort of, um, you know, experimented with over the years, one through like the own research that my team and I have conducted, but two, um, not this year, but last year, I think I traveled a total of 254 days. So like, I, I've sort of had to apply all those strategies that I learned early on, um, into like, maximizing my sleep time and then, um, you know, maximizing my time to train. Um, so I think the biggest thing that I've hacking wise is just one setting a really strict bit bedtime routine. So I, I implement the winding down even when I'm in uh, a hotel room. Um, also light, right? Like, I can control the light in my house, but when I'm in a hotel room, I unplug all the alarm clocks. I will put towels over like the microwave that's emitting a blue light, like anything that is emitting light that could interfere with my melatonin release. I like try to stop. Um, I try to control the lighting as much as possible. Um, but you know, I travel in the government's time, right? So we're not, we're sleeping in like, moderate accommodations you know we're not in the uh the marriott marquee we're in like the the townhome suites so you're gonna think this is like super cheesy and like ridiculous i will actually bring like a candle with me and like because that like low light that simulates candlelight is the best for like optimizing melatonin release 
So that's another strategy I use. Um, I definitely always bring my sound machine with me. So I, I used to think uh, sound machines were gimmicky, but then there is a um, very prestigious university who published a finding in a prestigious journal to show that uh, the types of sounds emitted from sound machines can actually like coax the brain um, into a deeper, not a deeper, but help consolidate sleep. Um, so I use that. I take a hot shower. Um, you know, the other thing about the sound machine is like it's going to minimize the outside noise because most people like slam their doors in a hotel room um, and then sleep supplements. So when I travel, I always bring. Um, so I use the momentous product. Um, it has uh melatonin but then it also has magnesium which comes in the form of magtine and what's unique about magtine is it's one of the few formulary blends of magnesium that is actually able to cross the blank the brain and act and act there um because like i don't know how much you know about like the pharmaceutical world but that's sort of like the like what you're aiming for is you want a product that can actually cross the blood brain barrier and act directly in the brain in order to be fully effective. Um, so yeah, that's, that's like my whole hacking routine again, based on the science I do, but then just experimenting over the years. And on the pharmaceutical side of things, I think if, if my knowledge is correct here, one of the problems with a lot of these sleep pharmaceuticals is that they provide somewhat of a sedative effect, correct? So like your ambience or even people who are using like things like recreational marijuana, those are sedating you and that can possibly prevent that deep REM sleep, correct? Yeah, so um, the problem with Ambien is that it's too much GABA. So it acts globally on the inhibitory neurochemical cascade GABA, but it's such a high amount and it's such so sustaining that it's going to, again, like interfere directly with the sleep cycle because of the dosing. Um, you know, there hasn't been a lot of research, unfortunately, with the endocannabinoids like CBD and then even THC. And obviously, you know why that is for political reasons. Um, we tried to do a study within the military and we got really close. And then, you know, the political climate changed and like we no longer could do that study. Unfortunately, uh, I do think CBD honestly is effective. Again, the research hasn't been done, but what I know about neurochemical systems and like those systems that are prioritized during sleep, like I could see why CBD is very beneficial for people for sleep. Um, you know, obviously I can't have that as part of my hacking routine because I, I'm in the military, but um, I do believe it works. Um, I, uh, and then, oh, go ahead. I, use, I use CBD every night before I go to sleep. That's yeah. one of my things. I have like a tincture that I just put under my tongue and I just, uh, I, I, ever since I implemented that, my sleep was a hundred times better. Yeah, no. And I believe it too. Um, and then there's certain like serotonin, um, pharmaceuticals that are effective as well. Um, but you know, the, I think the problem with like, let's talk about these nutraceuticals, right? So we're not talking about prescribed sleep medications. We're talking about these supplemental, these, sup, these supplements that are available, you know, without a doctor's prescription. Um, I, the issue I have with a lot of them is they target too many systems. So you have, we'll pack in 
tons of GABA. They'll pack in serotonin. They'll pack in like components of epinephrine. So they're never like just targeting one system. They're targeting multiple systems. And so it's, it's creating mixed signals for the brain, if that makes sense. And, and those mixed signals, I would anticipate, make the product less effective. So from a yes, supplement market, exactly. so from a marketing standpoint, why do you think that they're throwing all those in there just to say, hey, look, look what all we've got in here. It's all going to be super effective and great and we pay all this money for it. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and that's the issue, um, you know, with the nutraceutical industry is they're not yes. like they're held less accountable and liable for the claims they make because of the lack of governmental regulation. Um, but there are, you know, like, yeah, you're going to pay more for like the third party products, but honestly, like they're worth it. Um, you know, I, I actually have my own story about like supplements and like dirty supplements. Um, you know, I, I've never like popped positive on a drug test, but, um, you know, there's a period in time when, when we are competing in the CrossFit games, we, uh, we were sponsored by, uh, I won't say the name, but it was a supplement company that's very well known in CrossFit. And in fact, they used to be one of the sponsors of the CrossFit games. Are we on the same page? We're, we're there. We have arrived. We're there. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I, during that time of my life, like I was a fellow, so I was always working and like not eating right. So I would have three shakes a day and like minimal food at night, in addition to like working 60 to 80 hours a week and like training like a games athlete. Um, and I was like swole as fuck then. Like I will never be that big ever again. Um, and so Years ago, somebody actually took their product and put it through, um, it's called a high performance liquid chromatograph, which is like a basic chemistry piece of equipment that can detect like any like known chemical in the environment. Right. And apparently they like found traces of what could potentially be like anabolic steroids. So and I've heard stories of like people like traveling with that product through like a metal detector in the airport. I don't know. I heard this story once and it like set off an alarm. So uh, I'm not surprised like why I looked the way I did. Um, even though, again, I've never like popped positive on a test. But, um, you know, that's when it got me thinking about like supplements and like the difference between dirty supplements and clean supplements and have the lack of government oversight around there. And honestly, like the only, I do consulting work with um, supplement companies. Now I work, uh, I'm a, a performance engineer from Momentus, love their product because they are a third party tester. And like, I know for certain that what's in their product is like it's purest and highest quality form. And I honestly think that targeting a market like individuals who are sleep deprived might be one of the scummiest things that the supplement industry can do. Targeting people who want to get bigger. Okay, they want to get bigger. Do they really care that much? Maybe yes, maybe no. You're talking about someone who is suffering from insomnia that just wants to sleep. Here's this product. It'll help you sleep. That person is going to jump for that every single time. Yeah. 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 You would be surprised. Like most of the like DMs I get in my um, Instagram are from strangers or not like creepers, like, hey, you know, <laughs> not me. They're, they're actually from people who have these issues. Like, listen, I feel like I have this clinical uh, sleep condition and I'm taking this product and I look at the product 
And this is how I've actually become familiar with all the shit out there is like just people like random strangers on the internet asking me if this product is good. And, you know, nine times out of 10, when I see the product, it has like everything but the kitchen sink in it. Yeah. Including heavy metals and trend Malone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, it makes for an effective product. We won't knock it. Um, you actually mentioned briefly, so you talked about kind of caffeine intake, specifically, you know, one to two cups of coffee and then using pre-workout. We're all on board with that. We're good with that. That's reasonable usage. Now, what happens when we start to cross into unreasonable, we start, we go from use to abuse of semi-stimulants. Yeah. So individuals who are either one, using far too much caffeine or over-the-counter stimulants, or maybe individuals who are relying heavily on things like Adderall, things like Vyvanse, things like Modafinil, these prescription or these pharmaceutical-focused uh, drugs. Yeah, you know, when it, when you get down the road of, like, Adderall and Modafinil, that's, you know, it's really hard to come back from that. Um, you know, there's a reason why in the Army or, like, the military, the only people who are allowed to be prescribed that now are pilots, and it's under situations where they are just going to be going, like, balls to the wall for a few days. Uh, but besides that, we don't give soldiers that or methamphetamines anymore like we used to for a reason. Um, and then, like, so I actually I do a lot of consulting with professional sports teams, and uh, when I started working with them, especially, like, hockey players, it would blow your mind how many elite hockey players are like functional drug addicts because they're and baseball players in the same way. They're using Adderall and Modafinil to like, you know, stay alert and vigilant during the game. But then between that and playing a late night game, they can't fall asleep at night. So they like pop a few Ambien, not just one, or they'll just pair the Ambien with alcohol. And like, and these are elite athletes who are doing like, the, like the hardest thing in sports, right, is to hit a baseball traveling 100 miles per hour. And yet they're maintaining this like cycle of like drug induced wakefulness and sleep. Um, and so when you, what I say is like when you get down that road, like you need like psychological and like clinical interventions. Like there's no amount of like holistic approach that can reduce that abuse like it has to be like clinically monitored um but for people who don't get to that state where they're using adderall and modafinil um with caffeine so we know from my own research the research my team and i have done in the military that you don't need more than 200 milligrams at a time we actually just published a study a few weeks ago in the proceedings of shift work to show that that past 200 milligrams Caffeine basically stops working and no amount of caffeine past that will have any performance impact, whether you're sensitive to caffeine or tolerant to caffeine, um, which brings me to pre-workout, right? Like every pre-workout has what, like four or 500 milligrams of caffeine. So either you use a quarter of a scoop and keep it under 200 milligrams or you don't use it at all. Um, I mean, for the most part, if you use 200 milligrams of caffeine every few hours and then stop eight hours before bedtime, you should be fine. And like, 
yeah, you could get there as somebody who's been like an abuser of pre-workout and energy drinks, but just know it's going to take you a few months and those few months are going to be hell because your sleep's going to suffer and then like you're going to have headaches and all of that. But honestly, it'd be worth it in the end because um, like I said, with the energy drinks, we found people who have two or more energy drinks per day are at a higher risk for like these psychological conditions. Yeah, I I would... um. Like I, I would have clients that tell me they have trouble falling asleep. One of my things was I always thought people didn't take into consideration like the half-life of caffeine. Yeah. That they, were, they were drinking it like yes. they thought it wasn't late in the day, but didn't realize that that half-life is going to be sitting there while they're trying to go to sleep. And I think a lot of people don't. I, so I, I've told people like, hey, cut your caffeine at 1 p.m. And by the time it comes time for bed, you might be, have a better chance of falling asleep. Yeah, no, it's true. So the half-life of caffeine can range depending on who you are, whether you're a slow or fast metabolizer, anywhere from three to eight hours. Yeah. So that 500 milligrams that you took after work when you were headed to the gym at 6 p.m. Yeah. Five hours later at 11 p.m., you got 250 yeah, two milligrams in you. <laughs> And you yeah. can't sleep, so you're up for another five hours, and you still got 125 hanging around. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, even though your brain, like, it might not be antagonizing adenosine. Oh, this will show you how big of a nerd I am. I have adenosine tattooed on my uh, forearm here next to dopamine. Nice. So, uh, here, let me get a better view of it. But, uh, show me the, the three phosphates. Yep. Um, but like, even though it's not blocking the adenosine receptor, it's still in your system, right? Just like you said. So your body's still going to have to metabolize it. And yeah, at 11 p.m., like no wonder why you're not sleeping. Now, what do you make about people? Because I think this is where people don't understand falling asleep and quality sleep. The people that say, you know, I can have a cup of coffee and I can go straight straight to sleep. Yeah. So I... Uh, it's all about sleep quality, right? Like they'll fall asleep, but they'll stay in the later stages of sleep. They're not going to enter the deeper stages of non-REM sleep and transition into REM sleep because of the adenosine. So there's a direct relationship between the neurochemical release of adenosine in the brain from uh, what are called astrocytes. Um, and uh, the amount of slow wave, like deep restorative sleep. That's another name for like stage three non-REM sleep is slow wave sleep. Um, and the more adenosine you release, the greater the propensity of the brain is to be in slow wave sleep, which is where all the anabolic processes are happening. So if you're having caffeine, it's blocking adenosine release so you're not going to have slow wave sleep or as much slow wave sleep as you should be getting yeah and you mentioned it briefly you talked about kind of like sleep quality trackers things like i think i think whoop is the biggest name in that space but there's things like the aura ring there's new people are popping up in that space because it's so much money there now i'm interested to get your take on how much stock you actually play place in these sleep trackers 
Yeah, so actually I've done um, a small case study with the loop strap. Uh, we used it last year during the CrossFit Open um, to track when heart rate variability returns to baseline levels. Um, and we actually paired it with an intervention. There's a, um, a new company, a, a company out there called PR Lotion. I don't know if you heard of them. It's a, it's a sodium bicarbonate lotion. So it's, a, it's an absorbable sodium bicarbonate lotion that's meant to buffer your pH so you could push through training intervals and minimize the amount of um, lactic acid accumulation and like, you know, acidosis that happens in the body when you do high intensity interval training. Um, so I have used the whoop in that capacity. Uh, I will say like anecdotally from using the whoop, um, and I actually have used the Phoenix five as well is I think sleep wearables are really good or wearables are really good for giving you an overall landscape of your sleep, right? Like they're not meant to be uh, a replacement for clinical sleep outcomes. That's what I like to emphasize. Feel like you have a sleep disorder, uh, you know, schedule sleep study, go to the clinic. Don't use your wearable to tell you whether or not you have a sleep disorder. I know we would like to get there within the wearable space, but you know, my understanding is, and this is me being a like purist in terms of physiology, is sleep is determined from brain activity. So in order to have a full, accurate picture of transitions in and out of specific sleep states or wake states, you have to monitor brain activity. You can't monitor heart rate variability. You know, it's not if that's cor correlative, it's not positive. Um, so that being said, like wearables are a good start and they're good for like interventions, right? Like I found out on the whoop strap that alcohol impacts my recovery more than I thought. I, you know, not that I'm a big drinker, but I remember my first week on the strap, I went to a wedding. I had like four drinks across, you know, like six hours, like most people do at a wedding. And then my recovery, even though I slept nine hours, was like at 10% the next day. And then like another time when I drank and I had two drinks, it was like 33%. Um, so I think, you know, wearables are good for that too. Like looking at how the whole picture, like nutrition, hydration, alcohol consumption affects your sleep, but they're not meant to um, replace like clinically significant sleep problems. I can't emphasize that enough. Now, knowing what you know about sleep, knowing what you know about these wearables, are you at a place where you're confident auto-regulating your training or really throwing a wrench in your training plan, your mesocycle? Let's say you're leading into regionals where, you know, you've got a really, really hard block of training and your whoop band or whatever it is tells you, you know, your recovery is very poor. Are you going to auto-regulate your next training day and say, oh, my recovery is poor. I got to really like pull that down and train easy for the day. Do you have that level of confidence with these wearables? Um, I do believe, I do believe in that regard. And um, I say that from doing this like longitudinal case study, uh, for example, like I, what I really wanted to know with the, using the loop was during the open, you know, people get this, like, is it, does your body actually take days to recover from an open workout? Or is it more of a psychological phenomenon? I had wondered that for like 10 years of doing CrossFit. And sure enough, the loop 
told us that even in elite CrossFitters, it takes your body about two or three days for your heart rate variability to reach baseline levels after an open workout, unless you're using like a, a pharmacological intervention like the sodium bicarbonate. We found that that accelerated recovery, but if you weren't using that, it took two or three days. So I do have a lot of confidence in them when it comes to like things like physiological strain. And that would make sense, right? Like physiological strain is a byproduct of the cardiovascular system. And that's what the wearables are me- measuring are these yep. transitions in the cardiovascular system. Uh, yeah. They're not meant to measure things in electrophysiology of the brain. In, in that case study you mentioned, were you taking the WHOOP data just from after the workout or were you taking data from the days leading into the workout as well? Because I anticipate that the days leading into the workout, the sleep wasn't great either due to the anxiety, knowing that they had a very wor- important workout coming up. So we, uh, I it was a longitudinal study. And what I mean by that is they kept the loop strap on the whole time. Okay. So they never took it off. Um, but I purposefully did not look at sleep states for that reason. Because, okay. Again, I am a purist, right? I, I believe in electrophysiology as the gold standard. Um, but heart rate variability is a good metric of physiologic recovery. Um, so that's all I was looking at was like what their HRV average was that the day prior to the open workout where like obviously the resting. And then I looked um, at the time course and return to baseline levels following the open workout. Sorry, I'm being selfish over here. I'm asking all these questions. Mike, what do you, what do you want to ask here, man? Jump in. What do you want to know? Man, so I, I feel like I've had like, so for my first of all, I've like learned so much just from this conversation. Like I, I thought I had like a, a decent understanding of some stuff, but uh, but didn't understand, I guess, maybe the scale. So it's like I had all these questions that would come up but then would get like subsequently answered, which is a pretty cool thing. Um, so, so I guess a question that I have, um, it, I think it's actually, it would qualify as a dumb question because I think I already know the answer, but you know, I'm a physical therapist, right? I'm actually a military physical therapist. We have a very similar patient population, meaning, you know, not all the time with great sleep hygiene, a lot yeah. of rippets, uh, shift works and stuff like that. So I think I've maybe been underserving my, my peeps in terms of like what I'm telling them in terms of like how, how important sleep is, you know, I, I tell them like, yeah, you know, be sure you're, you know, sleeping well, you know, not eating, uh, nothing but, uh, combos and, uh, and Pringles. Right. But, uh, but man, I mean, like, I guess, you know, I guess you've really kind of underscored some important factors here. And I, I guess, would you say that those factors for, you know, how important it is for like hypertrophy, fat loss, et cetera, anabolism basically would you say it's, it's going to kind of bleed over into like you know recovery from injury you know post-op etc yeah. things like that man okay well i gotta get on it then so yeah and awesome. i mean it's not just true with like skeletal muscular skeletal injury it's also true with brain injury like i've done those studies i when i was in atlanta you know we have huge stroke population there and we've done studies to show that like sleep there's a time window post brain ischemia where sleep is absolutely critical. And if you're not getting sleep, then brain damage is going to be irreversible. Brain damage is going to be significant. Um, or even in, in um, like, uh, if you've ever heard of the technique called preconditioning, where you're like exposing yourself to like mild bouts of ischemia or uh, like the, I'm sure you've seen it as a hypertrophy method, the katsu. 
like, yeah. like the bands occlusion like, occlusion yeah so like actually occlusion so uh, i have a paper it was published in animal models but it's relevant to this is um uh occluding the femoral artery uh in like intermittent bouts will actually induce neuroprotection from ischemic stroke and the reason that works is through sleep is it actually like augments and like rapidly increases this deep restorative slow wave sleep um but if you deprive this um, animal post occlusion of getting like deep restorative sleep there's no neuroprotection and they have irreversible brain damage uh because they didn't get that like or take advantage of that slow wave sleep uh you know post occlusion so it is wow. it's super important for injury prevention wow. and also like the recovery end too was that also in uh in hamsters so if you haven't read her book, oh. um like a lot of a lot of hamster stories um yeah so uh yeah, no, this is on mice because, you know, like hamsters are great. They are an excellent model of uh, circadian rhythms because their endocrine systems are so like in tune to the environment. They're also like one of the best models of drug addiction. So uh, without getting too off topic, um, my claim to fame in graduate school is I was on the show Mansers. Do you remember that show? Yep. So... We were in a segment called Which Animal Can Drink You Under the Table? And it's the hamster because in its natural environment, the hamster eats fermented fruit. So it eats the, the it lets the fruit fall from the cacti and it buries it. And then a few days later, the hamster will uncover it, eat it like super enriched with alcohol. And because of that, they've developed like minimal liver damage so they can drink up to 50 times more alcohol in a belt than the average human male and have like no post-mortem damage to their liver we also found out that they really fucking love cocaine too like cancers <laughs> are like they they seriously they love cocaine they love alcohol they love exercise and they love sex like and actually, we did a study, too. If you deprive a hamster of running on its wheel, it will get really aggressive and pissed off and start just drinking a shit ton of alcohol until it can run on its wheel again. Like, this is, I'm, I'm not kidding you. They're, like, hands down the most interesting creatures on the planet. I actually wow. saw that you did some research in alcoholic mice. Um, yeah. So we've. So maybe we'll throw in some podcast title about like hanging out with your alcoholic hamster uncle, something like that. So actually, yeah, I did make mice. We genetically engineered mice who were um, functional alcoholics, but also coke addicts. <laughs> I'm not kidding. When you were growing up in Youngstown, in Ohio, state, and and you know that's what doing in Kent, Ohio is. Cool. I love genetically it. mutant mice who are addicted to coke and alcohol. Yeah, you, you tried to make a bad case for Ohio, but it sounds great over there. No, there, there actually is like human application. Like, obviously, we're studying like, you know, I know I'm making like 
light of like drug abuse and it's a terrible thing. Um, but there could be functional application for my research. So the thing we found with both Coke and alcohol is like, even though it acts on very different neurochemical systems of the brain, they, it, they both stop the circadian rhythms and the biological clock from working. Uh, so if you, if you let a mouse get like, like coked up or like drunk as ever before presenting them with like light stimuli that are meant to like shift their sleep wake schedules. They're basically insensitive to that. Um, so if you think about human application, if you were, let's say a business executive and you were in New York and you had to be in LA and you know, it was a 24 hour shift and you, didn't want to experience jet lag. You could just stay drunk and hopped up on Coke the whole time. And, you know, just like the, the guys in Wolf of Wall Street, like, you know, be Matthew McConaughey and you'd be totally fine. Wow. Wow. That's the practical takeaways that you come to this podcast for people. Yeah. This really? is what you wanted. And we <laughs> gave so it to you. I'm the military is listening. They're going to be like, oh my God. What? Yeah. <laughs> no, the military, I've not done research with the military. This is pre-military life, academia. Let's be clear. The military is not funny. This research, this is academic research done at a university, not within a military lab. <laughs> Living the dream. Well, I I'm going to close out here. I owe you a high five. You posted something about weighted blankets the other day, if I remember correctly. So I went yes. out and I picked myself up a weighted blanket. And let me tell you, freaking love it. I love it so much that my fiance has stolen it from me. Oh, it's great. So actually my friend Henry, he just started, uh, well, he owns this company called Rooster Recovery. Uh, they, he made these like ergonomic, um, pillows that are meant for like sleeping and getting you in the right sleeping position. But, um, yeah, that he just exploring into weighted blankets now. And I love it too. It's the first time I've ever used one. My dog yep. and I, like we, I have a dachshund, which like they love to like burrow under things. So she like loves my weighted br- blanket. Yeah. All right, Henry, we'll drop you in the in the description down below. We'll drop a link to Rooster Recovery. Dom, anything you wanted to circle back to before we close this sucker out? Because it's been a good one. No, it was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Dr. Brager, thank you a, a ton for coming on. It's been uh, it's been really fun. Uh, let the people know where they can find you on the social meds, uh, future research you've got in store, maybe books, where they yeah. can find your current book to go buy it and whatnot. Yeah, so you can buy my book on Amazon or like through Barnes & Noble, uh, their bookstore. It's called Meathead, Unraveling the Athletic Brain. Um, and you can find me on social media. Um, I'm at DocJockZZZ. Um, anything you have about sleep, like, you know, I'm always on social media. It's part of my job now with the army is like, you know, we have a huge social media presence at the team. So just, you know, ask me any question. Um, I don't really have any book I'm working on per se. Uh, you know, I'm like helping write like textbook chapters and like educational content here and there for like the national Academy of sports medicine. But, um, I'm going to wait to write my book until hopefully after I become an astronaut. But, you know, that's got to I got to wait a little bit for that. Don't hear that every day. I'm going to write my second book only after I become an astronaut. <laughs> that's my plan. <laughs> well, too. actually, so I wrote I think you can still buy it. Uh, if you look me up on Google and like type in Allison Brager, I actually wrote my first book when I was 18. Uh, and it's like a young adult, like 
young love coming out story. Uh, it's called, I don't know why I came up with this title, but this is like 18 year old Allison. It's called Off Colored Rainbows. And it's like about like, you know, back then, like homophobia, like in the Midwest. Um, but anyway. It's right here. Yeah, you can find my <laughs> He already found it. He's already okay, found it. I know. It's one of those things where I'm like, Somebody will randomly ask me about it whenever they buy meathead. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's like my 18-year-old self, like, wanting to tell the world my coming out story. So <laughs> my mom was quite not the happiest about that. But, you know. No you can, way. A Midwest yeah. mom unhappy about coming out? Color me shocked. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. As always. Us- well, I actually hadn't come out yet, but like my family read it. And then like, so at one point in time, I actually used to be married to uh, a man. And uh, I actually have a, like, without getting too off topic, I have like a good blog post I wrote last year with Outlawed about like, you know, I think when you grow up in a, as an elite athlete and like in those circles, like it's much harder to come out than people realize because you're like, I was just expected to marry this like, like super hypersexual like alpha male athlete and I did do that I um my ex-husband like we're still like good friends and on great terms uh he grew up swimming with Ryan Lochte and he swam with Michael Phelps at Michigan so like you know it doesn't it doesn't get any better than that um but yeah like when I got married my mom was probably like phew okay that book she wrote off colored rainbows like not true at all. But then when we got divorced, like right after they legalized gay marriage, she literally, when she called me up and I told her, she's like, are you getting divorced because you're gay? And I was like, yep. And then like, you know, she was okay with it then. But like, yeah, that that book told so much to my family, even though I wasn't like living that lifestyle without, you know, anyway. It's a mother's <laughs> it's a side story. I love it. It's a great side story. Everyone, go pick up. Is it f- free? Free to buy off colored rainbows? I don't know. I think it's like, it like one ninety nine. One ninety nine. Like the spring the for book it. Book publisher. I don't probably make. I don't make any money on it anymore. But to keep it in print, they're like you have to pay eighty dollars to keep it in print, and because it's like one of those shady like free publishing companies. So pay eighty dollars and you could set the book price. Well, Ooh. I was like, fine. I'll set the minimum. What's the minimum? And it was like one ninety nine. Ugh, screw those corporate overlords. If you DM <laughs> Doc Jocks, that's three Zs, and you ask her for a copy of Off Colored Rainbows, she'll send it to you for $2. No, for $3. We're going to make you some extra money here. Yeah. Screw I, that yeah, publisher. Let's do it. Don't let the man hold you down. Yeah. Well, actually, what's crazy about the book publishing world is you don't make a lot of money as an author unless you've like published with a big publishing company because it's the same thing with Meathead. Like, I am very appreciative of people who read it, but I probably make like 300 bucks a year off of selling it because like I didn't publish with like a big company. I, you know, published it as like an educational resource. I'm sure it benefited my career professionally, but you know. So it's more for dropping knowledge bombs than anything else. We appreciate that. We appreciate the knowledge bombs, especially all the ones you dropped today for everyone. I hope you guys learned quite a bit about sleep. Drop a like, a comment, a subscribe, all that fun stuff that people say on YouTube. We will catch you on the next one. Hopefully we'll have Dr. Breger on for another episode. Yeah, for sure. 
We'll see you around the horn. As always, guys, stay gifted. See ya.